Amen. Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Awesome. So today we continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Like Brian said, we're talking about peace. And let me just start by saying there wasn't a lot of peace in my house this week. It started last weekend, some of you may have noticed, with daylight savings. Happened to happen. And then last weekend, my wife Amanda decided to take off to L.A., the beaches of L.A. I, think, I didn't realize it until she was gone. And then I was like, wait, it's daylight savings. And I think she probably planned that on purpose. Just to get away from the chaos, because if you know, if you have kids, young, young kids, toddlers don't get the message with daylight savings. So I tried my best to prepare him, but um, yeah, his, his routine was just gone. And so we've been recovering from that this week. I know, Christine Aaron, you guys get it with Toby. It's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. So that started off this week, and then you all experienced the bomb cyclone 2019. What a name for a snowstorm, right? It's pretty sweet. We survived a bomb cyclone. So that introduced some, some interesting things into our, our week this week. And beyond that, on Thursday, I discovered, I was about to go pick up Teddy from daycare, and I discovered that someone had clipped my back taillight on my Jeep. It looked like they noticed and tried to jam it back in there. And then they left. But the, the, the whole thing was shattered, so that was fun. I had to deal with that. I went on Friday uh, to a junkyard, really, uh, to go look for a used part, because I don't have the money for a new part. So I started wandering these aisles of, the, of this junkyard, probably like a good 20 rows of this junkyard. And ultimately what happened is that uh, there were six Jeeps like mine, and so I got to the sixth one, and finally, it had the part that I needed, right? All the other five did not have that part. So I finally got to the sixth one, and it had this part that I needed. So I, it took me a couple hours to, to pull this part off, to fix my Jeep. And then on my way home, of course, I'm like, sweet, I got this fixed. And on my way home, I get pulled over for speeding. So yes, it was my fault. I admit to it. But it was just one thing after another, it seemed. So there wasn't a lot of peace this week. But, but ultimately, huh? Yes, I got a ticket. I'm not attractive enough to get out of that. <laughs> Apparently, the cop assured that to me. So, <laughs> all that to say, there wasn't a lot of peace. But we're talking about peace this morning. And you know, another thing that came to my mind as I was thinking about this was this old movie, Miss Congeniality. And yes, I said old. Did you know that this movie is 19 years old? It's almost 20 years old. So I was thinking about this, and there's this great scene where uh, all these beauty contestant, um, or beauty pageant contestants are asked this question, what is the most important thing that our society needs today? And the obvious answer is world peace. One after another, it's like, oh, world peace, world peace. That's easy, world peace. And it gets to the undercover cop, played by Sandra Bullock, and she's like, harsher parole. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get the clip, so I'm just reenacting it for you. But there's just some silence. And she looks around, and she's like, and world peace. And everybody gets up and starts cheering and claps. It's like, yes, you said the right answer. Peace is the right answer. We all want peace, right? I mean, some of us may have given up on it as a, some lofty pipe dream that we'll never reach to, but we'd all like it. We'd all like peace. It's the right answer. Well, lucky for us, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Um, it's one of these uh, one of the characteristics listed in this passage. So we're going to tackle it this morning. We're going to look at Galatians 5. If you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to pull those out and keep your thumb in this passage in particular. Because we're going to come back to it <clears throat> several times. But this gives us our list of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Um, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, I just want to encourage you, uh, for future weeks, please bring your Bible. We're, we're really trying to stress the importance of wrestling with our own Bible, a paper copy in front of us that we could write in and underline. Um, also, I encourage you to bring a journal and a pen, if you haven't, and write notes. Because we're going to be covering a lot. We, the more that we write, the more that we take notes, the more we actually commit things to memory without even realizing it. It's, it's great. And one last thing I want to encourage you to do is we've got, I mean, this is week three of nine in this series of Fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to be talking through this particular passage a lot. I want to encourage you to commit this to memory. What would it look like for you to memorize this? Uh, because there's something, that, something special that happens when we memorize scripture. It becomes a part of our mind and our heart and we walk with it. So I want to encourage you to memorize this um, and allow it to become a part of you. But Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So there's our list. Brian kicked us off a couple weeks ago with love, did a great job, and, and Mark Popenhagen, the Pope, he, uh, he kicked us, or he continued last week with joy, and so it, it's been really good so far. I could encourage you to go back and listen to those if you've missed them, um, but you may have already noticed, even just in the, the previous two weeks, there's going to be a lot of overlap with these topics, and I'll give you a secret why that is. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, it's singular. You know, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. The Greek language actually says fruit, singular. So the Holy Spirit gives us one kind of fruit in our lives that can be characterized by all of these things. You can't have one without the other. So for us, for those of you who are like, I've given up on peace long ago, you, you kind of can't. If you want to walk by the Spirit, this is something that, that God wants to give you. But I was poking fun at the Pope, Mark Popenhagen, last week because he totally stole one of my passages just right out from underneath me. He's still, I'm still going to use it because it's great, but Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I mean, seriously. I mean, he's not here. He's in... He's, hanging out with our kids this morning, but come on, Mark. It doesn't say joy in this passage. It says peace. He used it. I mean, it still fits because, again, there's a lot of overlap, but I was just like, really, man? It's about peace. But I want to ask you a question because when you read a passage like this, and there's a lot of passages like this in Scripture, when you read something like this, I'll say this. The spiritual people in the room read this, and they're like, oh, mm, amen, yes, praise God. Most of us say, what the heck? Does that mean the peace of God surpasses all understanding? Okay, uh, I'll wait till you show that to me. And honestly, that's kind of the camp that I fit in more often than not. Sometimes when I'll read some, some of these passages, I'm like, really, Jesus? Do you mean that? What does that even look like? I don't get that. I still don't get the concept of giving it to God. You know, people will say, oh, you just got to give it to God. I don't, I don't know what that means. God's not right in front of me so I can hand something to him. So I still wrestle with some of these things. But... If this is God's word to us, right, and that's what we, we believe, that this is God's word, this is a promise straight from God. This is a promise that says if you do these things, the peace of God will be with you. So we're going to look into that this morning and press in, knowing that this is a promise and we want to experience it. So as we jump into this concept of peace, I want to start by making sure that we, we understand it properly because... I don't know if you've thought about this before, but Jesus thought about peace differently than we do. 
He, thinks about, he thought about peace in a much different way than we often do. He was a Jewish man, lived roughly 2,000 years ago, right? And if you know, Christianity is a fulfillment of Judaism. It's not a separate religion, right? Jesus was the Messiah that, that the Jewish people waited for. So the Jewish word for peace is shalom. Everybody say that with me. Shalom. All right, shalom. Now you know some Hebrew. So shalom is this, that's the Jewish word for peace. It's translated as peace in the Bible. But there's a subtle difference here. Jesus himself says in John 14, 27, he says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. So Jesus himself tells us he wants to give us peace, but it's going to be different than the peace the world can give. He doesn't give us peace like the world does. There's a difference. So we tend to think about peace as a lack of conflict, a lack of war, right? That's the opposite of war is peace. Just we think about it as a lack of something or maybe a silence. But shalom is a little bit different. Shalom is, it's, it, it conveys this concept of completeness or wholeness. So there's a difference because sometimes we just think of peace and we got, you know, there's the, the peace symbol, the peace sign, or you got the you know, two fingers out. Be very, very careful not to, to do it the wrong way. If you do two fingers backwards, that, that means bad things in other countries. So make sure it's forward, right? This is peace. Peace, okay. So sometimes we can think about it just that way, but shalom conveys something much deeper. A completeness, a fullness, a wholeness. So, I mean, as a parent of, of a toddler, I tend to think, oh, I just need some peace and quiet right now. Can't Teddy just be still be quiet for a couple hours and let me just bask in that silence. Well, that's not how it works, right? That's not the kind of peace that Jesus wants to give us. So to think about this a little bit more in depth, right? We have peace from the world standpoint as a lack of something. Godly peace, shalom, and this is the Jewish concept and the Christian concept, is a completeness or a wholeness. Or in other words, things are as they should be. Does that make sense? So you can actually have godly peace in the midst of conflict, in the midst of turmoil, if things are as they should be. All things considered, right? Because we live in a sinful and broken world with a lot of heartache. But if things are right, if, things, if there's this sense of God is here, I'm living the way I should be, I'm, I'm living in obedience, I'm, I'm where I should be, that's the kind of peace that shalom conveys. Jesus says again in Matthew 10, 34, he says, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And this can be a little confusing because Jesus often tells us that he wants to bring peace, but you can see he directly opposes peace to the sword in this saying. So what he's saying is, is I'm not here to bring peace as the world thinks about it. I'm not here just to, to calm the circumstances. I'm not here to calm the waters. That's not the type of peace I want to bring. But instead, Jesus directly says, I came to bring the sword. I came to bring conflict. I came to bring tension. I came to stir things up, shake things up, because that's what needed to happen, right? That was good for Jesus to come and shake things up. So he intentionally brings tension, yet he still wants to give us peace. In John 16, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
So here's another instance where Jesus is talking about peace, and he, he says, I'm giving you my peace, but you're also gonna have trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world. And I love this hope because he says, I've overcome the world. So Jesus wants to give us shalom. He wants to give us that kind of peace. He wants us to be in this position where we are right with God, right with those around us, and we're living the life that we're supposed to live in the midst of our circumstances. So godly peace has absolutely nothing to do with the outside circumstances of our life. And that's the first thing that we need to understand, is that if you're waiting for God just to make everything calm in your life, most likely that's not going to happen. In fact, I think God leads us into difficult circumstances often because he wants to do a good work in our lives, do something good through us. So as I mentioned, um, our week didn't have a lot of peace this week. Um, and I told, told you about a handful of other things that happened in my week. Uh, walking through a junkyard was kind of interesting, for sure. Um, there's a picture of what I was looking at. So I walked around like 20 rows like that. So I put in all this effort just to get this extra part, and it, it did, did kind of work. But again, like I told you, I got a speeding ticket, and, and my week was a little bit chaotic, more chaotic than normal. And I think is is pretty fitting because I think since God knew that I was going to preach on peace, he wanted me to practice a little bit of what I was preaching, right? He's like, okay, here's some hard circumstances. Let's see how you react. And it was good. I, I had an opportunity to, to live this out. And it was fresh on my mind because I was pouring into this topic. But the kicker for me as I was preparing and thinking through my week is that, you know, this, is, this was just an off week. It wasn't a big deal. I look around this room, and I, I don't guess this. I know this. I know that some of you are in the middle of circumstances way more difficult than I am in. Some of you are going through things that you don't know how you're going to get through it. You know, maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you, maybe you don't know how you're going to pay your bills next month. Maybe your marriage is hanging by a thread. Maybe you've received a medical diagnosis or someone you love has received a medical diagnosis that's, that's really bleak. There's so many things, heavy, heavy circumstances in life that can st steal our peace and make us feel like peace is impossible. But I want to tell you is, again, if we're thinking about peace from a shalom standpoint, right, the peace that God has promised us, me and you have the same hope that the peace of God is not dependent on our circumstances. I'm not talking about having peace when life gets a little bit chaotic or when you have an off week, right? I'm talking about having peace, the peace of God, when everything around you seems to be falling apart and you have no answers. And to go extreme enough, we have examples in, in the New Testament and the early church and you know, even across the world today where people are being killed for their faith yet are still exhibiting peace. One of my favorite stories in scripture is, is in Acts chapter seven. You don't have to turn there. I'm just gonna summarize it briefly, but there's this guy named Stephen and the 12 apostles, they realize, okay, there's a lot of things to do. We need to designate some of this work to some deacons. And so they, they elect seven deacons and Stephen is one of them. And really the point for them was like, we just need someone to wait tables. And then we see in the very next verse, Stephen goes out preaching the gospel which is pretty cool. But he finds himself in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin, this big religious council. And it's 
it's fascinating if you read it. He basically looks at these Jewish officials, like the, t- the, the leaders of the Jewish religion, and he tears them a new one. He looks the, at them in the eye and, and goes all throughout their history basically to say, you're missing the Messiah. You just killed him. You just killed Jesus. And you still have an opportunity to repent and to, to come alongside what he's doing, but you're missing it. So he's, he's really getting in their faces. And so what they, what they decide to kill him. That's what they decide to do. By stoning. And if you don't know what that means, they pick up rocks and throw them at you until you die. Sounds real, real pleasant. But in verse 59, we see this. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which was kind of an early Christian way of saying he died. So while he's being killed, while massive rocks are being thrown at him until he dies, he has the peace to pray to God and say, receive my spirit and to forgive the people that are killing him in that moment. Why? Because he's where he's supposed to be. He's living out his faith in a radical way and he's trying to convey a message to people that need Jesus even though they just killed him. But again, that's the kind of peace that God wants to give us is shalom. It doesn't matter if we're in conflict. It doesn't matter if our circumstances are all over the place. So I want to give a couple other examples of maybe things that may be more common for us on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes, this is speaking to me personally too, sometimes I don't feel peace when I know someone doesn't like me. Any other people pleasers in the house? Okay, I see, I see you. I see you. Good. If, if I know or get a sense that someone doesn't like me or like doesn't like what I said or doesn't like what I, you know, I feel this internal turbulence, this turmoil of like, what, you know, uh, I just don't feel the peace, right? But here's another instance where we see Jesus say something in, in John 15, 18 through 19, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The question is, are we okay with that? And I'm, I'm obviously not talking about a situ- situation where you've done something wrong or you, you've hurt someone. I'm talking general. Like if you are just living your life, you're following Jesus, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and someone doesn't like it, are we okay with that? We just went through a series before this one um, called Blueprints where we, we tackled a handful of cultural topics and tried to give a biblical perspective on it, right? If you follow Jesus and if you try to live with a biblical worldview, and put your foot down and say, no, this is truth, there are going to be people in this world that hate you, that don't like you, that are gonna oppose you. Are you okay with that? It's a question I have to ask myself, too. Because again, we're looking at this, the peace of God does not depend on what other people think about you. That's a circumstance. (coughs) If you are living life as you should, If you're walking in obedience, you can have the peace of God in all circumstances. Another example, I think specifically of of our our students and many of you also, I mean, we're kind of live in this high-paced society where things change very quickly, uh, but sometimes we don't feel peace when we have some major decisions to make. 
whether that's figuring out where to go to college or, or what job to choose or where to apply for a job or where to move or who to date, who to marry. There's a lot of different things we can ask questions of like, God, I don't know what you want me to do. And I hear that a lot. I hear, God, what, if you just tell me what you wanted me to do, I would do it. So we don't feel peace because we have this big decision to make. But I want to tell you something. You, do you realize that God cares more about who you are than what you do? I mean, think about that. God cares more about who you are as a human being than what you do. That means if you pursue God and run hard after him, let him shape you, inform you, and mold you after his image, the big things fall in place. They really do. Honestly, like if you pick, I mean, let's say you have three great college choices and you pick one, God's not going to say, oh, nope, sorry, you picked the wrong one. Your life is forever doomed. Like, it's, that's not how God works. But if you're walking with Jesus, you know, sometimes I think he just looks at our circumstances and is like, look, if you're walking with me, if you're pursuing me, those are all good options. Just pick one. It's okay. Shalom is about being right with God. That's what it's about. It's about being where we should be. It's about being, walking in obedience. It's about being where we're supposed to be and not, not again, not saying like, God, what, where do you want me to be tomorrow? Like, I mean, just being in a state where you're walking with God. And if God is calling you to do something specific and you feel it, you're not going to have peace until you do it. Right? I think that's something that's underrated. As Christians, we have to know that, that if we are not obeying Jesus, we're most likely not going to experience his peace. Because that means we're not right with God, holy. We're walking out of step of what he wants us to do. And for some of us, too, some of us, I, I mean, again, preaching to myself here, too. For some of us that are asking this question, God, what do you want from me? I'll give you a hint. Read this book, the Bible, and do what it says. And that seems oversimplified for some of us sometimes. But again, this book, God's word to us, has so many commands that came right from the mouth of Jesus. So sometimes, and this isn't in the Bible, but this is something that I, I think makes sense in light of Scripture, is sometimes I think God is quiet because, and he's not telling us what to do in our daily circumstances because we're not doing what he's already told us to do. He's already told us to do something. And maybe we're not doing it. Sometimes we may be so focused on, oh, God, which job do you want me to pick? And he's like, well, I don't know. Do you, are you loving your neighbor? I don't know. Are you forgiving people? Are you confessing your sin? What, I mean, because those things, the commands that we see in Scripture, matter so much to who we are as people, the formation of our character. I don't think God really cares too much about which job we pick until he, he knows that we are walking with him and are becoming the people he's created us to be. Matthew 7, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, every, everyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So Jesus himself points this out. He says, what matters is not just learning more or hearing more or reading the Bible. It's, it's about reading those words and then putting them into practice and doing them. That's what's important. That's the will of God for your life. So all I have to say is the more that you walk in obedience, I believe the more you will experience the peace of God. And I'm not saying that God's not going to tell you what to do in those big 
life circumstances, but I'm just saying is that, is that I think God cares way more about how we carry ourselves day to day and who we are becoming. And now as we continue on, like I, I just want to try to paint this picture of what shalom is, right? Shalom is, is about being complete or whole. It's a fullness. But I also want to point out that when it comes to peace, this peace, the peace of God, is not something to be had. It's something to be produced. So, and let me say that again. The peace of God is not something to be had, possessed. It's something to be produced. I'll say it a different way because I think this applies to all of the fruit of the Spirit. This fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is not for you to consume. It's for you to distribute. So, and I found myself doing this too. When we look at this list, it's really easy to look at each one of these things and be like, oh yeah, love, I want that. Joy, I want that. Peace, I want that. Yeah, give me that. I want, of course I want that. I want kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self I want those things. I want the peace of God. We all want the peace of God. We all want to feel at peace because that's better than <laughs> feeling in conflict. But when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it's not something for us to eat or to, to possess, to, to have for ourselves. John 15, Jesus uses this, this analogy, calls us the branches and him the vine. If we're attached to the vine, if we abide in Christ, we will produce good fruit. Right? This, the production of fruit is this, this biblical analogy that says we are producing something good or bad. Like There's bad fruit too, but the fruit of the Spirit is good. It's a production. It's not something for us to hold on to for ourselves, if that makes sense. So when it comes to the peace of God as a fruit of the Spirit, we exhibit that. We're called to exhibit it for that to flow out of who we are into the world. Not just for us, not just for our own spirit but for those around us. And we see this all throughout Scripture as well. Jesus, in Matthew 5, verse 9, this is one of the Beatitudes. Jesus gives us nine things. Basically says, blessed are so-and-so. But in, in verse 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, gives us a very clear instance of what it means to make peace, to be someone who, who f- lives out the peace of God he says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and sometimes we think about this in, in lines of communion, this is just worship in general, right? Um, but if we're offering a gift at the altar, and there we remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come offer your gift. So Jesus himself looks at his disciples and say, look, peace matters to me. I don't want you to worship me until you go make peace where it needs to be made. So this is a circumstance where someone has something against you rightfully, right? You've done something wrong or you've hurt someone. Maybe you've said something hurtful or I don't know what it is. But it's in that instance where Jesus says, go do the hard thing, step into the tension and make peace with that person before you come and worship me. That's a peacemaker. It's a peacemaker. You know, sometimes we think about peacemaking uh, and like, I think I default to a kind of peacemaker um, or a peacekeeper, right? I'm the type of person that if people start raising their voices, I'm just like, oh, no, 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 please, please stop, please, like, lower your voices, calm down, it's okay, we'll, like, we'll get through this. You know, like, I want to keep the peace, right? But that's not, again, that's, that's kind of the worldly view of peace. That's a lack of conflict. 
A true peacemaker will step into the most difficult of circumstances to try to bring out goodness and godliness in, in that circumstance. Does that make sense? Again, shalom is, is for things to be right, things to be as they should be. So sometimes that means we are called to do the hard thing. Maybe that means if we, if we did something wrong 20 years ago and, someone, and, and have broken a relationship with someone because of it, maybe that means doing the hard thing and going back to apologize to that person even when you haven't spoken to them in 20 years. Like That's not a nice set of circumstances. That's intentionally walking into conflict to make something right. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. So when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, on one instance, yes, I do think it affects our spirit. Like we can feel the peace of God, but on another instance, it's something that's supposed to flow from us. We're supposed to be people of peace that make peace in the world around us. And the last thing that I want to focus on, this is probably going to be the, the biggest application point for what do we even do with this. We need to realize that the peace of God is found in the God of peace. Straight up. We can't find it anywhere else. You will not be able to find the peace of God anywhere else. Right? If you want to feel peace, like I, like I mentioned, just a lack of conflict, all you have to do is head up to the mountains for a couple hours Find a nice lake, listen to the sound of music of nature and like sing Kumbaya to yourself. Like, it's right there. All you have to do is just go right to the mountains. We got a great spot here. But the peace of God is something different and that can only come from God. So what does that mean? We're talking about the fruit of the spirit. Brian mentioned this two weeks ago, right? Fruit of the spirit, not of Alex, not the fruit of Brian, not the fruit of any of us here. It's the fruit of the spirit. You'll notice, I don't want to poke fun at this too much because I still think that there's value in doing this. But um, sometimes we just look at the fruit of the Spirit and we pick one and we're like, oh yeah, I'm not very good at that one, so I need to shore that up. Right? Well, let's, let's go back to Galatians 5. He gives us this list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then the two verses immediately after that says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Paul tells us to do. He says, don't, he doesn't give us this list and say, okay, pick the one you're not good at and, and try to work on it. What do we do is we press into the Holy Spirit. We run hard after our relationship with God because that is how we experience the peace of God. It's, it's by going to the God of peace, as with any of these fruit. And this is beautiful because we're a people of the Spirit, right? As Christians, if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, the Holy Spirit lives in us. And I don't know how often you think about that or reflect on that, but it's, it's important. God is not somewhere up in heaven away out there, I mean he is, but he's also right here. The Holy Spirit dwells and lives inside of each and every single one of us that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. And if we look at scripture, all over the place, Jesus tells us plenty about the Holy Spirit, but ultimately what we learn about the Holy Spirit is that he guides us, he moves us, he leads us, he speaks to us, he teaches us, he counsels us, he comforts us, and the list goes on and on and on. The Holy Spirit is active in your life. 
And unfortunately, and I, I'm guilty of this too, sometimes I'm not listening. Sometimes I don't notice. I just, I'm too concerned with other things. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, we need to pursue God. The more that we yield to Jesus, the more that we lean in to what God has for us, the more that the Spirit will produce this, these characteristics in our life. And I'm not talking like, you know, we had a conversation in our life group this last week. Sometimes we can think about these things in terms of our own natural personalities. Like, I think in general, I can kind of naturally be a peaceful person, but the peace of, that's, that's listed in the fruit of the Spirit is a supernatural peace, right? We're not talking about human traits here. We're talking about something supernatural, supernatural love, supernatural joy, peace, all these things that come straight to God that do not make sense to us. So we have to pursue and lean into God for this to come out in our life. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus gives us this picture. And sometimes I think we wrestle with this passage because, again, it just doesn't seem to match our reality. But this is a promise from God. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. It's a promise. So when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, especially something that God wants to give every single one of us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us, we should ask for these things. Seek them. Knock for them. Pursue them diligently. And I want to revisit Philippians 4. We mentioned this at the very beginning, but Philippians 4, 6 through 7. This verse that, again, I kind of look at and be like, sometimes I struggle to believe it, right? But it says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So again, look at these actions mentioned in this passage. In one instance, he says, be anxious for nothing, right? And that's kind of our default mode of operating. We, when something happens, we worry about it. We get anxious about it. We start trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? How do we fix this? How do we, what do we do? That's our default mode of operating. And he says, instead, by prayer and supplication, supplication is a big fancy word for asking for things. That's all it means. Asking for things. So by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Those are all action words that describe a building of a relationship with Jesus. And it's persistent. So again, if we take these passages together, right? I think God is really calling us to be persistent with this. Some of us are really, really good. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. It's just a first step. Some of us are really good at asking for something from God, waiting five seconds. And if we don't feel anything different or if we don't hear anything, we move on because we got things to do. We got places to be. This is America. Some of us are, are decent at seeking as well. Maybe we develop a regiment in our life where we will read a, a chapter of scripture a day and we'll make sure we pray and pray for our loved ones and things going on in our lives. But maybe we'll devote 10 minutes to that. And then we're like, okay, cool, I got it done. I got to move on because I got things to do. I got places to be. What I love about this passage in Matthew is, is Jesus also uses this analogy of knock, like knocking at the door. And some scholars believe that this is an image of persistence. Persistence. 
right? If you're going to someone's house and you ring the doorbell and you don't hear an answer, it's not good enough for you. You're sitting there pounding on the door until someone comes to answer the door. It's persistence. So for us as Rock Creek Church, what does this mean for us to pursue the peace of God, to pursue the fruit of the Spirit? I want to ask you, when was the last time that you put your foot down and said, Jesus, I'm not going to stop reading scripture. I'm not going to stop praying until I hear your voice. Until something changes. Until you give me some indication that you hear me and you've spoken to me. That doesn't necessarily mean the audible voice of God, right? I've, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But, but there are moments in my life where if I devote more time, it doesn't always happen with more time, but more effort, more persistence, God honors that. And he speaks. He'll pop things into my mind. He'll, he'll cause me to fixate something that I would not normally think about. I'll feel a warmth in my chest every so often when I do this. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. So all that to say is, I mean, think about any other relationship, right? If I were to have a good conversation with my wife, and I mean like a good, deep conversation with my wife, I can't do that in five minutes. I can't do that in 15 minutes. And sometimes we expect, we just feel like it's different with God and that we can have something deep with him in 10 to 15 minutes. But what I'm telling you is, is as people that are ultimately called to grow deeper in our relationship with Christ, and that's really the ultimate thing that matters is our relationship with Jesus. Are we willing to put the time, put the effort, and put the persistence in to hear his voice, to have a deep conversation with him? So I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want to encourage you to think about this in terms of where am I at with my spiritual disciplines? Where am I at with reading scripture? Where am I at with my prayer life? Where am I at with obedience? Are there areas of my life that I'm not giving to God? And figure out what your next step is. Do the next thing. Be persistent. Put the hard work in. Everything that matters requires hard work. So yes, reading the Bible can be hard and confusing. Yes, praying can be hard. It's hard to sit still sometimes for that long. But do the hard thing. Be persistent and see how God honors that because God loves you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you and the Holy Spirit lives in you and wants to produce these things in your life so that when you're going through the hardest circumstances that you never imagined you'd go through or that you don't know how you're going to get through, God is there with you. He's leading you and he's giving you his peace, his joy, his love, and all the other fruit of the Spirit. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I thank you so much for your love for us. God, you don't come to us as a demanding God who, who just wants something from us. You come as a, as a father who wants so much for us. Even in a broken world where, where we experience pain and hardship on, on a regular basis, you want the best for us. You want something greater for us than this world can offer. So I pray that as, as we go this morning that you would help us to hold on to that next step. Help us to pr- just press into you, not focus so much on what needs to be shored up in our lives or, or uh, you know, how we can better ourselves, but help us to focus on how can we grow closer to you? How can we yield 
more of our will over to you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would help us to become more and more familiar with you and the work that you want to do in our hearts and in our lives. So as we come before you in a step of worship to draw closer to you as our God, help us to believe the words that we sing. Help us to to sing to you as the God of our lives, the Savior, the Lord, who is ultimately in control of everything, who loves us more than we can possibly imagine. So Jesus, we thank you and give you the rest of this morning and this day. Mm -hmm.